Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our mission as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ, disciple people in Jesus Christ, and send people for Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Jesus as you continue to grow in His love and truth. Now, let's join Pastor Bob as we study God's Word together. Good morning, good morning. Let's thank the band. Come on, let's give it up. Very appropriate that we would sing that hymn. What a great hymn. We're going to sing that one in heaven together, church. Amen? Listen, uh, very appropriate we would sing that together today because today is the Day of Atonement. Today on the Jewish calendar is the holiest of the holiest of all holy days, the Day of Atonement. So I would like to speak to you about the importance and significance of the Day of Atonement from God's Word. If you have a Bible, grab it with me this morning and open to the book of, De- of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21. If you're visiting, welcome. We're thrilled to have you. We're honored to be having church in person. Come on, someone say amen. If you're watching online, welcome. You're part of the family. We're thrilled to have you joining us. If you have a Bible there in your home, if you're on the couch, pause the football games. It's the Day of Atonement. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 21. 21, why 21? Because we can't wait for 2020 to be over. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 21. I love this story. We're in a series called Victory in the Valley. I've got a valley for you here. I don't know how familiar you are with this valley. And so let me bring it to your attention, and then we'll tie it in to the Day of Atonement and all that is represented for us in what Christ Jesus, our Lamb of God, the Lamb of God that was slain, has accomplished for us. To the glory of his name, I have the privilege now of reading to you God's word. Verse 1, Deuteronomy 21. If anyone is found slain, lying in the field, so here you are in the field, hopefully not slain, but let's just say it happens. If anyone's found slain, lying in the field in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess, and it's not known who killed him, then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities, and it'll be that the elders of the city nearest to the slain man will take a heifer. How many know a heifer has very much to do with the Day of Atonement, and certainly a heifer has very much to do with the end times? Bit of a prophecy update for you. In fact, starting today, I think our prophetic journey will be for the duration of this series. As we continue to look at these valleys in Scripture, to whom the Lord would give victory for his people in the valley, we'll see a lot of the valleys now having to do with the end times. For example, the Valley of Armageddon will be there in a couple of weeks. Not literally, but in Scripture. We will look together at how that valley factors into the end times. Suffice it to say, a heifer's going to show up. And here a heifer shows up. A heifer which has not been worked, according to verse 3, which has not pulled a yoke. The elders of that city shall bring a heifer down to a valley. 
a valley that's flowing with water, a valley that has neither been plowed or sown. And they'll break the heifer's neck there in the valley, and the priests of the sons of Levi will come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord by their word every controversy and every assault shall be settled. And all of the elders of that city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, nor our eyes have seen it. So provide atonement. Verse 8. Provide atonement. Come on, everyone say atonement. Atonement. Now, atonement for what? For something that's happened that no one wants to take responsibility for. We are living, I mean, absolutely witnessing a record amount of violence taking place in our city, in our state, in our nation right now before our very eyes. And a lot of the violence that we're experiencing, church, is violence that no one wants to take responsibility for. Wasn't me. I didn't do it. I didn't see anything. It's them. They did it. It's their fault. And God would give to us a passage in Scripture, rather obscure, I must admit, Deuteronomy 21, but found there within the pages a cure, a solution. I want you to know today that God has a remedy, and that remedy is atonement. He offers atonement. Look what it says. Provide atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not lay innocent blood to the charge of your people Israel. And atonement shall be provided on their behalf for the blood. One more verse. So you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. What an amazing passage. And one to which, just for a few minutes, I would love to speak to you about, with this in mind, here's the title, Are You Covered? Are You Covered? Now that question of a title might pose another question. Covered with what? Because what they could have clearly been covered with here has now been covered by the grace and atoning sacrifice of what that slain heifer represents, which is what Jesus Christ has done for all of us who put our faith and trust in his name. Come on, church, are you covered by the blood of Jesus, covering all of your sins this morning? If so, give him some praise. Hallelujah. You see, I think it's important for us to to realize on the day of atonement, everything that would have gone into that particular sacrifice of that innocent heifer had never even been a plowed, never even done his job, never even experienced life yet, and and yet gives, gives, gives his entire life over as a sacrifice. That's atonement. That's commitment. And that's what would have been in mind there as these priests in Deuteronomy would have gone about the duty of providing what God has made available through his grace and by his mercy. And on this day, on the Day of Atonement, you all know probably the story of how Aaron the priest would go in 
and not just for this unknown random incident or accident that's recorded in Deuteronomy, but for all of the sins of the people where the entire last year of living was concerned. Once a year, he would go behind the veil. Once a year, he would go behind the veil to the presence of the Lord on behalf of the people and there pray for the atoning forgiveness and mercy of God over the sins. In fact, turn with me to Leviticus. Turn to Leviticus because I want you to see how that's played out here in Scripture. Leviticus chapter 16 records for us the Day of Atonement, and it's worth remembering. And kids that are with us, welcome. I'm glad you're here. You've got a gift bag, an activity bag, and some of the crafts that are in that bag for you this morning are going to tie into the message here. And I know a lot of adults want to write me. They email adults, you write me, and you're like, I didn't get a bag. I want a bag. I want the chocolate milk. Okay, um, kids, you could share with your parents. It's the Day of Atonement after all. And I think it's so powerful to see together what this day truly represents. And it isn't something that happens every year where our calendar and the Jewish calendar happen to line up so that we could actually celebrate the Day of Atonement. Good morning, Bo. That's my grandson. Um, where we could celebrate the Day of Atonement on a Sunday morning. But such is the case in 2020, and what a year where we desperately need those calendars to line up. So here's the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16. You got it? Say, got it? Okay, look at verse 3. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull, like that heifer in Deuteronomy. A young bull as a sin offering... And of a ram as a burnt offering. And he shall put the holy linen tunic and linen trousers on his body. Be girded with a linen sash, with a linen turban on his head. He shall be attired. These are the holy garments. Therefore he'll wash his body in water and put them on. In other words, it's not what he wore every day. It's not what he wore every week. It's not what he wore every month. Typically he would be dressed as the high priest. He'd have a lot of purple going on. He'd have his robe going on. He'd have his breastplate going on. The high priest would wear a breastplate with 12 gems, with 12 stones representing the 12 tribes. of. That's all coming off on the Day of Atonement. All of the garb, all of the fanciness comes on, and he puts his linen on. He puts his linen attire on. I, I think some of you probably remember. Do you remember when King David recaptures the Ark of the Covenant and there's this big to-do, this big celebration like the Rose Parade as they bring that thing back into Jerusalem and as they near Jerusalem, he takes off all of his kingly garments, his, his robe and his purple and his, his, his crown and it says that he danced before the Lord. Does anyone remember this? He danced before the Lord in what? You remember in what? In linen, in his linen ephod, and his wife was all ticked. She's like embarrassed because the linen would have been the undies. The undies, you guys. He's like praising the Lord, and she's like, you are praising the Lord in such an undignified manner. And David says, 
Bring on the undignified matter. Because here, the priest on the Day of Atonement would go into the presence of the Lord, not all dressed up, not all high and mighty, not all titled up. Man, look at me and my gemstones. He would go in with humility. He would go in with brokenness, not with pride, into the presence of the Lord with his linen on. And then he would do this. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Then he would cast lots for the two goats. One lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron would bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. So you got heifers dying, the blood of a bull dying, and now you got goats dying. Sorry, Helen Woodward. But it's all pointing to ultimately what the Lamb of God has done for the likes of you and me. And if that doesn't humble you, then you've entirely missed the point of how desperately we need what Jesus Christ has come to provide and how all of the events of the Day of Atonement were a foreshadowing and pointing and projecting to what Jesus on that day that he went to the cross would accomplish for all of the sins of humanity, for all of the sins of the world, past, present, and future. We're the scapegoat. We get set free because of the sacrifice of which Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Look at verse 10. The goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and let it go. Let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. Let it free. Let it run. Let it go in the wilderness. Let it go. Talk about victory in the valley. That goat had no idea how awesome, in light of the alternative, its life had just become. Look at verse 22. And the goat shall bear on itself all of the iniquities to the uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. And so on this day of atonement, look down at verse 30. Look what it says. On that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you. It's not about a goat, and it's not about a heifer, it's not about a bull, it's about you. And it's about what God has provided for you. The priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, that you shall afflict your souls. It's a statute forever. And the priest who's anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in the Father's house shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes and on the holy garments and will make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He will make atonement for the tabernacle. Look at the list here. He'll make atonement for the sanctuary, for, for the tabernacle, for the building, for the, for the temple, for the, for, the, um, for the articles inside the temple, for the tabernacle of meeting, for the altar, for atonement for the priests, for all the people. And then it says this, verse 34, last verse of that chapter, chapter 16 in Leviticus says this, and this shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year, 
One and done, you guys. What Christ has done, it would all point to him, it would all point to Jesus, and he did this as the Lord had commanded Moses. He would have to make atonement for the tabernacle. He would have to make atonement for the table. He'd have to make atonement for the altar. He'd have to make atonement over himself and over his family and over the building that he was in. And everywhere he would look to, everywhere could be pointed out, would need atonement. That's how powerful it is. This one and done cleansing. So as he's looking around, he sees the tabernacle, he sees this altar, he sees this table, he sees this temple, and all of it needs to be pure in the presence of a holy and righteous God. How amazing for us to realize that when Jesus died for us on the cross, when the Lamb of God took our place so that this atoning sacrifice like the scapegoat could set us free, what happened at that moment? At that moment, the veil was torn in two. And what Aaron as the high priest was only allowed to take access of once a year, you're now welcome to enter in any time because of the power of the grace of God because of the power of his atonement, because of the cleansing blood that frees us and permits us into the presence of a holy and righteous God. Wow. And so everything would have to be atoned for. Turn to Exodus. Let me show you what that meant. In Exodus chapter 25, there's something that stands out that needed to be atoned for over and over and over again. I know we're looking at a lot of scripture, but it's a day of atonement and there's so much meaning throughout the pages of scripture that causes for you and I to pause, to consider, to evaluate, and I'm praying walk away from this service today with a deeper gratitude and immense appreciation for what Jesus Christ has done. Because in Exodus chapter 25, in preparation for this day, people were invited to come and to bring gifts as they arrived. Gifts such as verse three says, gold and silver and bronze and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and thread and goat's hair and ramskin and dyed red and badger skins and acacia wood. Now what pops out at me on that list is the last one mentioned, acacia wood. The acacia wood would be tucked in there and then more than any other mention of any other article brought, it would repeat itself throughout the pages of scripture more than anything else. The acacia wood. In fact, look at verse 10. They would make an ark. We actually made those as part of the kids' activity a couple of weeks ago with the children's ministry. An ark would be made, the ark of the covenant, out of acacia wood. But that wasn't enough. Look at the next verse. And you will overlay it with gold. So in order for that acacia wood box to then be brought into the presence of the Lord, it needed to be covered. Question, title, are you covered? Are you covered? Are you still trying to somehow meander your way through life and muster enough good compared to bad so that you think you're, no, you need to be covered. The Ark of the Covenant needed to be covered, covered with pure gold, gold all around. Look at verse 13. And the poles that would carry the Ark were made of acacia wood. 
and overlay them, cover them also with gold. Look at verse 23. You shall make a table, anyone want to guess? Of acacia wood. Two cubits will be its length, and a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height, and you'll overlay it with pure gold, a molding of gold. And you'll make poles, verse 28 tells us, poles to carry the table with. You didn't carry the ark without the poles, and you didn't carry the table without the poles, and so the table is carried with the poles, the poles made of acacia wood. Overlay them. You're here this morning and you're like, I am learning more about acacia than I ever wanted to know. Or, or you're learning more about what the acacia represents. Because that's where you and me come into the story. The acacia wood that's represented throughout the tabernacle in the carving and making of the Ark of the Covenant, of the altar, of the table, of the poles, of the pillars, all of it points and represents you and I and our need like that acacia wood to be covered. Are you covered? And covered with what? It would allow then for you to come into the presence of the Lord and not for a moment or a flash, but for all eternity are you covered. The acacia points to you and to me and our need to be covered goes on and on and on and on. It does. Look at chapter 26. Describes the tabernacle there in the book of Exodus. And in verse 15, the tabernacle would be made of the boards of acacia wood. Stand them upright. Verse 25 says, eight boards, sockets of silver, all of acacia wood. Bars of acacia wood in verse 26. Bars of the boards on both sides of the tabernacle and overlay the boards, look at verse 29. Overlay the acacia boards with gold. Verse 32, hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Look at verse 37, and make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood. Overlay them with gold over and over again. Look at chapter 27. Oh my goodness, look at verse one. Make an altar of acacia wood. And don't carry the altar without some poles. Look at verse 6, 27 verse 6. Make poles for the altar of acacia wood and overlay them with bronze. Overlaid. What are you covered with? There's only one wood mentioned. There's only one wood used. Why the acacia? A few thoughts. If you're a note taker, kids have note pages in their activity bags. First of all, the acacia wood was prevalent. It was everywhere. It was available. It was the most common. And sometimes I think we want to sort of give ourselves a pass because we're unique. We're rare. We're a generation of snowflakes. There's no one like me. Actually, across this field, we have a lot in common. And God would send his son. And the book of Philippians says he would empty himself of all of his heavenly glory, of all of his golden glory, and he would become a man. He would become common. He would become one of us. He would become even a slave, a slave, a servant unto death. The acacia wood was the most common, the most inexpensive, the most non-rare of all woods you could possibly 
imagine. Interesting tradition speaks to the fact that many across the Mesopotamia area believe that the tree of life was an acacia tree. That the burning bush that lit up for Moses but wasn't consumed by the flame, which incidentally, again, points to you and me that we have this light and fire within us. And that many traditionally speaking would think that that burning bush for Moses in Exodus was the acacia tree. And many would refer to it, especially when it's in full bloom with its yellow flowers as the burning bush tree. In fact, there's some thought that Jesus himself, when he took our place on the cross, was crucified on an acacia tree. Not sure about that. Some would think it was a cedar, a cedar of Lebanon, because the cedars were used to build the temple. But more than the cedars of Lebanon is this common and prevalently available acacia tree that points to you and it points to me. You know why it points to you and points to me? Because we're common. All six billion of us on this planet. The other thing about acacia that's interesting is this. It's not easy to work with. And sometimes if we're really honest, we'd have to admit before the Lord, we're not all that easy to work with. You need a sharp tool. You need a craftsman who knows what he's doing in order to mold anything out of acacia wood because it was very hard to work with. Here's a play on words, kids. It's a knotty wood. It's full of knots, and we're full of knots. We're full, we're full of naughtiness. We're not all that easy to work with. This acacia tree is pointing to our state of affairs, to our condition, to what Jesus Christ has done for us because the acacia was gnarly. It was rough. It was rugged. It was twisted. We have this acacia hedge that runs up our drive across our property line in Encinitas, and it's all gnarly, and it's all twisted, and if a gardener might come and help me out in my old age to sort of trim it, he just sort of shakes his head, and he's like, this thing is out of control, and we, a lot of the times, church, are exactly that, and yet Christ, when he gets a hold of us, can take what is naughty, can take what is twisted, can take what is rough and what's rugged. You know what else about acacia? It's got thorns. It's thorny, it's gnarly, it's naughty. It isn't easy to work with. But the one that sticks out to me the most, it stinks. Did you know this about acacia? It's got a foul, distinctive, unpleasant odor attached to it. Not its flower, not its leaves, its roots. When the roots of the acacia tree are exposed, whoo! It'll stink up the whole neighborhood. In fact, sometimes when we go for a walk down along Coast Highway in Encinitas or Cardiff, there's a whole acacia grove, and sometimes we'll walk by, and Bonnie will actually stop. My wife will stop, and she's like, what is that smell? That is terrible. And she's looking at me, and I'm like, it's not me. It's the acacia roots that have been exposed. Church, I got to just tell you this morning, as lovingly as I can, this tree points to me, it points to you. We stink, our roots are rotten. We need to be covered. 
I mean, that's kids, that's exactly why in your gift bag this morning you got a poop emoji. Because that's what the acacia actually smells like. It smells like this. In fact, talk about a play on words. You know what the word acacia is in Hebrew? I wish I could say it, but they'd have to bleep it. If I said it, they would go beep, because we got kids in the crowd. But I remember my grandma reading scripture to us in the mornings. She'd wake up, she would stand next to the wall heater, and then she'd read scripture. And always she would read from the old King James version of the Bible. So when she came to this word, this word that's like in the Old Testament over 30 times, she would say it. And I would crack up. I would get the giggles. I would be laughing. I could spell it for you. S. I won't spell it. It would need to be bleeped. But grandma would just say it, and I cracked up every time. In fact, the Bible tells us in Isaiah that even though we think our righteousness is awesome, our righteousness before the Lord is filthy rags. Paul would put it this way, I've counted it all loss. I count it as a pile of dung. So my contemporary, politically acceptable translation of the old Hebrew word for acacia would be doo-doo. Doo-doo, poo-poo. I mean, you're, you're, here the kids got one of these in their, in their bags. I don't know if you've ever connected the poop emoji with a Hershey's kiss, but you will never look at a Hershey kiss the same way again after church this morning. And here's the Hershey kiss that's got the almond inside of it, because you're the nut and I'm the nut that's in the poop emoji that's been covered in gold, that's been wrapped in gold. To the glory of God, you guys, he's taken us and all of our despair, like a piece of wood that's now been covered with the gold of God's grace, a perfect picture of who we are and a perfect picture of what he's done. And this day of all days, now on both calendars, should scream to the world that you don't have to be stuck in your pile of you know what. You can be covered by the grace of God, not covered in shame and not covered in your mess and not covered in your sin, but covered by his grace. Atonement, if you broke it down, break atonement down into three words, at one meant, at one meant. You're like, meant, what does meant mean? Look it up. It means the action that changes your condition, at one meant, at once and once and for all, covered. And the effects of it, oh, the effects of this Day of Atonement, I gotta show you, turn to Leviticus 25. Let me give you one of the effects of this amazing, powerful day, and this ties in prophetically because in Leviticus 25, it says in verse nine, you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the Day of Atonement, that's today. That's today, church. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all the land. Stop right there. Get the connection. 
The day of Jubilee, anyone remember that? The day of Jubilee was a day when all of your debts would be forgiven. The day of Jubilee was the day when slaves would be set free. The day of Jubilee was the day when your inheritance that had been lost gets to be restored. The day of Jubilee happened because of the day of atonement. And on the day of atonement, on this day, 10th day, 7th month, that's today on the Jewish calendar, day of atonement, let the trumpet of Jubilee sound. The freedom that we don't have to be stuck in our sins anymore, church, is the greatest news that America could ever hear. And over 100,000 showed up in our nation's capital yesterday for that prayer march. Can you praise the Lord for that? Hey, Stephen, bring out the trumpet. Don't you think we should blow the trumpet? Trumpet in Hebrew is the word shofar. And on this day, they rang out the trumpet. I'm going to do my best to blow it. If you'll do your best to cheer as I do. Will you cheer? Will you, as I blow the shofar, will you blow your horns? All right, let me try The jubilee, the jubilee desperately needed in our land has been declared because of what Christ has done. And for us old acacias, turn to Joel. Turn to Joel, we'll wrap this up. I've asked Stassi to come out and close us in a song that I just absolutely love when she sings it. But as you turn into the book of Joel, Kids, I had one more little exercise for you. And parents, you can follow along if you grab one of those pieces of notepaper or anything that you could write your name on or draw a picture of yourself. Here's me. Got my hat on. I don't know if that's a hockey stick or a golf club. Love them both. I think it's a worthy exercise for you just to take a sec, draw a picture of yourself or write your name on a card Come on, put some linen on. Don't be too proud not to participate because this is going to point to something for us and it's going to answer this question. Are you covered? Because this picture of you, this picture of me, only becomes covered When it goes in there, the word of God representing Jesus Christ, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that everything about this book now, like Ruth in the Old Testament, where you go, I go, what you believe, I believe. I put my faith and trust in you, my identity, my meaning, my purpose, my reason for living. I'm covered, I am in Christ. And for all of us in Joel chapter 3, here's some prophecy. Let me just give you a sneak peek of how your future is going to go down. 
In verse 18, at the end of Joel, it says, it'll come to pass that in that day, the mountains shall drip with new wine. The hills will flow with milk. All the brooks of Judah will be flooded with water and a fountain will flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Acacias. The valley of Acacias. Or if you have the old King James version, the valley of you know what that I can't say without it being bleeped. You know, nobody actually knows exactly where the valley of Acacias is that Joel is referring to. So what if it was right here? What if it was right here, right now, meant for you and meant for me on the day of a the day of atonement where the acacia is covered by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ? What if this valley, this field, this day, this hour, this moment was the day that your sins your shame were washed and removed as far as the east is from the west. Church, are you covered? Are you covered by the grace and mercy of the Lord? I pray that if so, you would stand with us. Would you stand and let's sing this together as Stasi leads us. Thanks for joining the Horizon Church podcast with Pastor Bob. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. And if this message has blessed you, please share it either directly or on social media. If you live in the San Diego area, we'd love to have you join us at a weekend service or to catch our live stream, visit horizon.org live every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next time.